You're listening to Just Asking with therapist Stephen Ng. It's a conversation on what we're all thinking about, but no one's talking about, our sexuality and how to manage it intelligently. Hi, I'm Stephen Ng, and you're listening to Asking for a Friend. And that friend, in my case, is Jackie, who's sitting here with me and sometimes asks for other people, but I think sometimes maybe even for herself. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Stephen. I'm always asking for other people. None <laughs> of this is about me. Well, I have a subject I want. I have wanted to talk about for a long time. Okay, I so guess. So I'm not asking for a friend. I'm asking for about 140 million friends. Wow, you're a popular guy. Yeah, I... They're all Facebook friends. Uh, <laughs> they're not real friends. No, they're okay. not real friends. Okay. So I wanted to talk about sex and religion. and Or you could give religion first billing and call it religion and sex. But however it is that we approach the subject, I think it would be really um, important for us to discuss. So, and the reason I think that is I have so many clients I have had over the years who've had extremely difficult times with sexual issues because that's why people come see me is to talk about sexual issues. And that's part of what keeps me so young looking. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm talking to people and then, and they're about to, they're about to continue doing something really self-destructive and irrational. And I question them and they explain yeah, but we're Catholic, or we're Mormon, or we're Muslim, or that that this there's a disconnect that I often hear in my office between what makes sense in terms of serving people sexually and what people believe is what God wants them to do. Okay. No, I no, I'm totally on board with this because I'll tell you that God wants me to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what he tells me. <laughs> and and I, you know what? And there are religions that support that point of view, but so many of the mainstream ones, I guess the say the top four in the world, do not go down that road of encouraging having fun. Well, and it's interesting when you said you want to talk about religion and sex because those are not two normally two words that go together. You would not think so, but I have a quote for you. Okay. This is from. Uh, well, it's almost exactly 500 years old, and it's from Thomas More. Yes, that Thomas More, Sir Thomas More, Saint Thomas More from the Catholic Church's perspective. And he said, sex and religion are closer to each other than either might prefer. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. 500 years ago, and we still haven't caught up with that conversation. He opened the conversation, and we never really went anywhere with it. Because it seems, and I know that you have spent a lot more time in church and reading the Bible than I have. We all have, Jackie. Well, yeah, everybody has. <laughs> um, but it does seem like so much of church is about controlling behavior. And I would imagine any perceived negative behavior, which many, much of sexuality would fall under. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty fair thing to say. I mean, we could we could talk about and we will, I guess in this conversation talk about the range. But when I when I talk to my clients, and I mean clients by the thousands over my lifetime, and I ask them, uh, so what is it that religion has explained to you about sex? And invariably, they go on at length 
about the prohibitions, the rules, all the thou shalt nots. Right. And don't have sex with people of the same gender. Don't masturbate. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't have an abortion. Don't take birth control. Don't, 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 don't. Don't get divorced. Don't. Oh, divorce, yeah. And and as, in regard to that, who you can marry. Not just in terms of the modern debate on marriage equality, but for years, well, centuries really, uh, the the churches in the South at least, and, and some other places outside of the South promoted that it was God's will that we not marry outside of our race. And so there was all this, as you say, control. There was an awful lot of control. But what I find intriguing as a therapist is that they, they knew that their religion talked a lot about sex, but all that amounted to was a bunch of rules, none of which explained sex or contextualized it in a way that was helpful, none of which provided real direction, particularly if one, okay, I waited till I was married, now I'm married, and now, and I followed all the rules up till here, why am I having sex problems? And, and at that point, they often will go to a pastor for some help, uh, trying to get some counseling. And when that doesn't work, then they go in to see uh, professional counseling. And as you listen, as I listen to them, I, I just, it, it feels um, at times tragic, at times hysterically funny, like some cosmic joke. Uh, I can't believe that you would, you would say this. And it never, what's weird about it is it, to me, is that it never seemed that it had to happen. Well, and again, as a um, somewhat of a religious novice, um, the question I always have is if God doesn't want us to have a good time having sex, you know, if it's just for procreation or it's just like like you said, like all these rules about it, then why did he make, and I'm, I'm saying he figurative, I don't know, why did he make sex feel so good? Well, I think I can answer on behalf of fundamentalists around the world to test your character, Jackie. Oh, okay. To see what you were made of and to give you a chance to do the right thing. And of course... Which is to deny the pleasure. <laughs> exactly. For a higher good. See, this is why I'm not religious. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that the, that the battle between sex and religion never needed to happen because... If you think about it, I think Sir Thomas More, or St. Thomas More, as his wife liked to call him, um, <laughs> they, he was right. He was right. They're far closer to each other than, than any of us might have dreamed. And they both communicate a sense of context for our lives. Like, this is the world I live in, and this is my place in that world. Both sexuality does that and religion does that. Both sexuality and religion provide context. Uh, and what is the, the meaning of the things that are going on around me, the meaning of my own life, the meaning behind when I make love to my spouse and all the rest of it. And I think, lastly, for me, both try to communicate a sense of wonder and awe, you know, kind of wake up people smell the roses, there's a pretty terrific thing happening outside of your head, and it's called God's beautiful creation, which sex does that also, but they, they've they because they both do the same thing, it's like the two people in a therapy group who are the most alike tend to be the two who are most at each other's throat in any kind of therapy session. And that's true, I think, of sex and religion. They're very much alike. 
And it's interesting. I was reading an article um, that I found online by Reverend Roger Wolsey. Um, he, he wrote a book called Kissing Fish, Christianity for People Who Don't Like Christianity. And in this article, it's called um, It's Time for the Church to Grow Up About Sex. And he says, there are many people who want nothing to do with Christianity in large part because of the church's historic conventions of saying who gets to have sex with who, how, and when. And I think that that's really interesting because I have seen the other articles where, where churches of, I think, all persuasions are losing people. Yes. Um, the numbers are going down, and I suspect a large part of this is younger people who are questioning probably more and who can see, you know, they, they may not agree with, with what's being said, but they can also see some of the, the judgmentalism and the, and the hypocrisy. Well, and I, I think it has a lot to do with not just a younger generation, but modernity itself, because in modern times, we are enjoying the luxury of having more than enough food, of having a relatively peaceful world, of being free from most of the major diseases, at least for those of us you know, who are enjoying uh, Western civilization. And I think that when you get, it's sort of uh, reminiscent of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When you get all those basic needs taking, taken care of, you start wondering about what's the meaning of life and why are we doing things the way we are? And would it be so bad if we tried something different? And that article, you know, that you were citing from uh, pathos.com, mm-hmm. I I read it too, and I thought it was really amazing, starting with that title, you know, why the church needs to grow up. Right. I, I just think that the incredible immaturity of just telling people, don't, well, why not? Well, because I said so. Because you're the grown-up. <laughs> yes, we're the authorities. You're not supposed to do that. And I don't think that that really works in modernity anymore. It used to work when we were primitive tribal people, and it was a matter of survival. And and we had rules that, like our restrictions on eating shellfish, uh, that coincided with our lack of refrigeration. Uh, and it made sense not to eat shellfish because it could go bad. But nowadays, whether we're talking about shellfish or we're talking about preventing pregnancy and getting a, or getting a divorce, we really don't want the church in our business that way. Well, and he used that as an example as well as divorce, is when women were considered property of their fathers and then their husbands, um, virginity was a high value. So you couldn't divorce somebody because then that woman would be considered damaged goods and she wouldn't have any options. Yeah, she'd be reduced to prostitution. Right. So... so now that that's no longer the case, you know, that women are not considered property of men, that restriction seems less relevant. Obviously, nobody wants divorce. Divorce is terrible, but well, not, yeah. not, I mean, it's like abortion. Nobody is dreaming at night about when they can have their next abortion. It's not, that's not a thing that we do because of pleasure or desire. We do this, we do these things out of necessity, right? You know, with, uh, regret and uh, and a sense of misfortune for having been put in that position. And the same is true of divorce. And that's why virtually the entire world, except for the Philippines, uh, allows people to get divorced. And can you imagine? I mean, the, op- the opposite. Well, but for years, for centuries, I should say, Europeans were forbidden to have divorces. And that's how we ended up with the Episcopalian Church, right? The Anglican Church was a direct result of Henry VIII being disallowed from having a divorce. 
and he was in a position to do something about it. So what would be, and I, I, I understand this may be a stupid question, I'm trying to understand the church's motivation um, in controlling people so tightly like this. Is it, is it, you know, particularly in terms of sexuality? It just seems like a lot of work to try to control, to try to convince people to go against their own human nature and their own human sexuality. Yeah, and I do want to talk about that some more that that nature and of their human sexuality. But I, I have a sympathetic uh, view of the church's controlling behavior. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, I hate to be controlled myself, and I wouldn't tolerate it if it was directed at me in my, in my personal life. But I know for myself that when I've been terribly controlling, it's, it's come out of tremendous fear. And as I've looked around, I have yet to see anybody who is really controlling, who is not governed by overwhelming fears. And so collectively, uh, as we're experiencing in this country right now with uh, immigrants, uh, there's a lot of fear and people are trying to get a lot of control. But is the, is the fear grounded in reality? That's the question. And when we're talking about sexuality, what we're talking about is being afraid of ourselves, being afraid of our own bodies, being afraid of pleasure, and ultimately being afraid that uh, not only that my view of my religion with its rules and, and principles is going to be needing a complete overhaul, but that my religion itself is somehow meaningless and irrelevant because I mistook the rules for the mind of God. I thought those rules, as I understood them, and as I harangued people and cajoled people and preached at them and eventually stoned them if I needed to, those rules form the heart and soul of faith. But that's not really true. I mean, if you look at any of the world's religions— uh, the major ones, let's say the big ones, from Hinduism to Judaism to Islam to Christianity, they all have an amazing codification of human wisdom within them. And the sexual prohibitions, such as they are, are either quite modest or uh, really not uh, anything more than culturally specific. So they're really not anchored to the the universal truths, the timeless eternal truths uh, that the religions are trying to get across, like when Christianity, since I think most of our listeners are familiar with that one, when Christianity talks about uh, judge not lest ye be judged, except, footnote, when it comes to sex, then you're free to judge all you want, except that's not really true. I mean, so we end up violating these principles that are timeless and eternal so that we can have uh, adherence to the rules. And and if I could, well, are you ready for another, I have another Christian scripture I wanted. Oh, I, th I thought you were going to blow my mind again, and I was prepared for that. <laughs> well, and, and maybe you are. Well, th there's an old story, and almost everybody, if you live in America, you hear these stories. So uh, let me remind people, there was a time when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field of grain. And it happens to be the Sabbath, which would be a Saturday back then. And he's, um, he's walking along, just enjoying the day, and the guys are a little hungry, so they're breaking off some uh, grains of wheat and popping them in their mouths. A few very legalistic people saw that 
and gave him a hard time because his disciples were actually working on the Sabbath, which was forbidden. Now, the Sabbath, you have to understand, if you, to really understand this passage, you have to understand that the Sabbath is the cornerstone of Judaism. So violating the Sabbath, you might as well throw out the whole thing. Jesus responds to them by saying that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And by extension, what he's saying is that we were not made to serve our religions. Our religions are there to serve us. I was just waiting for a, a strike of lightning to come down and hit you. <laughs> I'm on his good side. I, th I, th I think he <laughs> likes me. He or she uh, or they, I think I, I'm in good grace with them because we are the reason why the religion was created. Whatever religion it was, it was a created thing. None of our religions are eternal from the beginning of the universe. So it, was, it too is a created thing. And it's here kind of like uh, a facelift, if you think about it. You know, Jackie, I don't think you've ever had a facelift yet. I have not. But if you did have a facelift or you had the thought of maybe getting one, you would understand that it's not, it's not required. It's not mandatory. It's not, as the doctors say, emergent. It's not like I have to get this done to save my life. It's something that's an elective procedure. I can do it if I feel like it. I can abstain from it if I don't feel like it. And it's the same with religion. We, there's an implied warranty, in other words, with religion. And I think we need to apply that warranty to our sexuality. The implied warranty is embracing this faith will make your life better. Well, embracing this faith is going to make my sexuality more satisfying, more complete, more enriched, more meaningful, more wonderful, or to use uh, Jackie standard, more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, if it isn't doing that, then I'm going to have to say, I think you're doing it wrong. I, and and not sex, but the whole sex and religion thing. Okay, yeah. So so mine's not blown, but it's in pieces because I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> Did I break your brain? You, you are trying to break my brain. I'm trying to understand like how I would use, like how religion would make my sex life better. Well, imagine, imagine if you will drawing a stick figure of yourself standing on the earth. And up above you, there are these big fluffy clouds. And so we can see the earth below you, we can see you, and we can see those fluffy clouds. And those clouds, because they're ephemeral and, um, and, and ever-changing, they rep represent more spiritual thoughts, whereas the earth beneath your feet represents terra firma, the unchanging reality of life in this dimension. Okay, I'm So with you. if I could let the earth stand for my sexuality and those clouds stand for my spirituality, what's missing is an up and down arrow that, where there's a dialogue where my sexuality helps ground my spirituality from writing checks that it cannot cash, like never masturbate because masturbating is a sin or never sleep with anybody outside of marriage because that's a sin. Never get a divorce, even though your husband is beating you to death. Never get a divorce. 
none of that stuff really works when we talk, we're talking about being grounded in reality. And, you know, funny thing, thought experiment. I asked my clients who were trapped in the, I can't get a divorce because it's a sin way of thinking. And I asked them, well, you know, your child, she's only 12 right now, right? Yeah. Well, if she were to grow up, this little girl you love so much, and she were in a relationship with a physically abusive man, and she came to you for advice, what would you tell her? And they always say, I would tell her, get out of there, go get a divorce. They always say that. They have absolute clarity. It's just that they sacrifice themselves on the altar of their religion. Well, on the altar of their religion and their beliefs about their religions, um, their beliefs in their religion's prohibitions on sexuality. They're willing to go ahead and take the literal hit, if you will, but they're not willing to do that for anybody they care about. Which asks, you know, brings up the question, well, why don't you care enough about yourself to make right. that same kind of quality decision? And the same thing is true of those who are trapped in a loveless marriage, you know, where I'm talking to a man or a woman, it really doesn't matter, and they haven't had sex in five years, 10 years, 20 years. The record, I think, is 38 years, 38 <laughs> years of a sexless oh, marriage. It just made me so sad. Yeah, it's a, it's a terribly sad thing. But the reason that they stayed married, well, a commitment's a commitment. I promised the Lord, you know, that I was going to stay in this relationship. I swore before God and in, in the church that this is where we were going to be. And, and again, I asked the question, well, what would you recommend to your son or to your grandchild if they were to be in a similar relationship? And they always say, oh, get out. So I guess back to my question before you broke my brain is— um, how religion can help my sexuality. Yes. So it's if I had a pastor who was willing to say what you just said. I mean, who, but again, I don't, I shouldn't need permission from a pastor to do what's right for me. I, I shouldn't need his endorsement. Maybe though I might need a little direction and guidance. I might need a little encouragement because maybe I'm suffering from some religious delusions of my own, you know, some religious irrational thinking of my own. And so, wouldn't it be liberating to have a pastor say, no, are you nuts? Jesus never asked you to submit to being beaten in a marriage. Get out well, of even, there. I mean, that's an extreme. Let's let's go back to just a— uh, But a common one. A, a, a loveless marriage. <laughs> I mean, because if you're talking okay. about physical abuse, it's, it's too easy. That answer is too easy. Uh, actually, there was a major scandal with the Southern Baptist Church recently where the leader of that uh, organization— just recently lost his job because he'd been saying that for about 30 years. Telling people, advising them to stay married to people who were abusing them. Uh, women, spe specifically, yeah. So it is a pretty—and domestic violence is pretty darn common. I think it's probably more common than loveless marriages, uh, but, let, but even a loveless marriage. Or let's say it's a marriage where one of you really loves the other, but uh, the other party just isn't feeling it. So are there churches that do this? Is this, like, are there actually, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes, there are some, but is this a common thing? Where to it, stay married, even a no, loveless marriage? No, 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 for, for a, a religious leader to advise you to divorce or to... I don't think it's that common. I think uh, particularly, okay, let's, one of our bigger churches in the United States is the Catholic Church. Okay. I don't think most priests would encourage a woman in a loveless relationship to get a divorce, or a man for that matter. 
I think that they would, they would, they'd be providing counseling. They'd be urging patients. They'd be encouraging prayer. Uh, they would be asking for the parishioner to do any number of things, but, uh, I think they would be willing to have you go through that for years. So here's the other, um, slightly change the subject because I, we've been having this conversation a lot lately with my friends is, um, about LGBTQ. So if your, your job as a parent is to raise this child, well, let me, let me start again. God talks to me on a regular basis, and God tells me what I should do for myself. God does not tell me what I should do for you or anybody else. Like, I'm, I'm not to judge other people. Thank you, God. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's good <laughs> like that. But as a parent, it's our job to educate and keep our children from doing right or wrong. Right. Right. So if you have, if you are very religious or if you just believe that homosexuality is a sin, I can see how if you have a gay child, that's going to create all kinds of conflict. Yeah. Right. And, and if you have a religious leader who is advising you on how to, and I'm putting the word educate in quote marks, your child to not be gay. Well, that's, and of course that's true because it never happens to you. That's, that's what happens to bad parents who raise their kids wrongly. Oh, so, so only bad parents have gay kids? That's right. Okay. That's right. We all know that. <laughs> Gee. You know, in Utah in um, 2007, the Mormon church came out with a very clear stance on homosexuality that was more definitive than it had been before. More doctrinaire, quite a bit harsher, and uh, it was in support of... Um, Question 8. Yeah, Proposition 8. Eight or proposition hate, as it was called or derided right. by, right. by well, your people, those liberals out <laughs> there. And what happened with the suicide rate of LGBT teens in Utah is that it tripled See, at, starting in 2007. And this, is, and this is the reason we've been having this conversation is it seems like if you are accepted by your parents— like that's the the main thing as your, your your job as a parent is to accept and love your children. And if you are an LGBTQ person who is there are all kinds of challenges involved with with that. But if your parents love and accept you no matter what, I have to think things like suicide rates and cutting and all these other things would drastically diminish. Well, and, yeah, absolutely, Jackie. I have to break in though because for me what it is is it's it's going back to that uh, story about Jesus. Was was your religion made for your kids, or were your kids made for your religion? Well, no, my kids are made to serve my religion. So, no wonder you'd have to preach such a harsh gospel uh, that it would drive them to suicide. Uh, hardly the life abundant, but but think if you think about that as a parent, does that make any sense? whatsoever to embrace a religion that requires you to drive your children to suicide. Or even, because I, even that, I know that suicide is common, but that just to, to come back from the extreme edge, any religion that would encourage you to tell your child that they are, that they're an abomination, that they're wrong, that they're, you know, that what God made them is, is wrong. 
Well, again, Jackie, I'm sorry. The, the fun, speaking on behalf of fundamentalists around the world, it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. And they're, they're trapped into that position because otherwise you couldn't really consider it a sin. If there wasn't some amount of willful individual uh, choosing going on, what make now? I need and I need to go back even a little further, because I told you about my little stick drawing of you on the Earth, with the clouds above representing religion, but the Earth below you represents sex, because it's a a very real fact, perhaps an inconvenient one, but nevertheless, it's it's uh, it's a real fact, and all of us know, all of us know that our sexual orientation is not a choice. There, I, I've met so many men who are heterosexual who buy into the, some religious perspective on homosexuality being a sin and, be, and then they eventually say something, what they think is politically correct. Uh, I just don't agree with that lifestyle choice. And upon further discussion, I ask them, so you have the ability to choose your own orientation. Uh, yes, people do. Well, no, I mean you. You you could have decided this morning that you would have been gay. And usually, I have to say in my office, people do tell me the truth. And I have never had one person say, yes, I could have decided to be gay. Every one of them, when confronted with the reality, the, you know, the earth beneath our feet, the reality of our sexuality, we... We know, we have a, a knowingness inside of ourselves that there is no way that sex works like that. And this is another one. And I and I have a really good friend I'd like to bring on the show to talk to you sometime about this particular subject. Um, her name is Kathy Balduck, and she has spent her life devoted to trying to bring together. She grew up in evangelical, and she's trying to bring together um, LGBTQ community and church. Because she believes 100% in church and thinks it's wonderful and awesome, and she loves this, you know, the LGBTQ community, and she's sad that they have been marginalized or worse. Well, it's great that she's found such a small goal that's easily achievable. Exactly. exactly. She won't have to spend too many years of her life doing this. <laughs> oh, yeah. She can do it. She's got a computer. She could do it like 10 minutes. But and I, and I know how you love your gaze, Jackie, but speaking on behalf of the wretchedly straight people of the earth— uh, I think that religion is every bit as damaging to them, and we have an even harder time penetrating our denial about that, we heterosexuals. Because at first, we seem so accepted, especially compared to gay people, right? And it seems like, okay, I'm good to go, just as I am. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But then you find out that no, and and <laughs> the most universal sexual experience known by the overwhelming majority of people like in the 90 in over 90% 95% is masturbation and there is not one church in America that will go on the record and say masturbation is a normal developmental activity and some adults continue to masturbate when deprived of sexual gratification is there anything in the bible about masturbation there was a, a story in the old testament um that was supposed to be about masturbation, but it was actually a story about withdrawal and had to do with marriage laws and marrying your brother's wife. And 
if your brother died so you could raise up children who would get his inheritance and the family, including his wife, his widow, would not lose their property. Well, um, and that's, it's in for people old enough to remember the sin of Onan, or if you look it up in the dictionary, Onanism, O-N-A-N-I-S-M, is uh, a reference to masturbation. But if you read the story, it has nothing to do with masturbation. And that was the only reference. So Martin Luther said a long time ago, his attitude was, if the Bible doesn't forbid it, then it is permitted. So for Lutherans around the world, whoo-hoo, good news. They can masturbate. They can masturbate till the cows come home and drink their beer during <laughs> Oktoberfest. But for most of the rest of uh, Christianity, uh, masturbation is considered secretive, shameful, and sinful. So why? I mean, if you're not if you're not hurting anyone, you're you're. Well, what I like about the uh, forbidding masturbation and, and any kind of basic self care when it comes to sexuality is, you end up with people who are terribly sexually starved, and you kind of if you can control them that far, whether they're abstaining or not is not the point because nobody really abstains. Everybody messes up on this, and then they have guilt, and what do they need to assuage their guilt? another dose of religion. So I go to my God and I ask for forgiveness and I get that forgiveness and I'm good to go until my next encounter. So I, I need to say, I think that this gives religion a great tool to control the population, but again, not a necessary one. There's enough good in religion Enough wonder and enough awe and enough beauty. And in fact, I think in all of the religions, the main ones, at least of the world, for all of us to be attracted to the philosophical and moral underpinnings of that religion. It's funny that I'm, I'm mind melding with you, which scares me, <laughs> is um, I was just coming to the same conclusion is that religion, there's so much about religion to love and to appreciate, and it does help keep us on a on a moral path it could it, it, it could um i guess the challenge is who's doing the interpreting and who's doing the enforcing of the rules yeah and that's that's the other thing is i mean i would say for anybody listening you know one of our takeaways today could be be extremely suspicious of anybody anybody who is a three-dimensional object on this planet like you or me who claims to know the mind of god i that's that's the one that blows me away yeah be very very because... skeptical there because they really probably don't and to the degree that any of us do we arrive at that understanding more collectively i believe than we do as individuals because as an individual i need to have my thoughts checked by the people around me who can tell me yeah but what about masturbation and, and then I say, oh, yeah, sorry. And I can go back to thinking something a little more rational. And it's not just masturbation. Really, if you think about it, it's really the heart and soul of the culture wars in America today. Everything th that people are arguing about the most bitterly seems to be somehow grounded in the thinking of religious people who are looking mostly to repeal Roe v. Wade, at least the very conservative ones, are looking to repeal that. 
Uh, and by repeal, of course, I mean get a preponderance of conservative judges on the Supreme Court. Right. They're looking to underfund or cease funding altogether for sex ed programs in public schools, particularly sex ed programs that would help kids to understand that abstinence alone is not a viable option. It's simply not sustainable and that it would be really great to be smart about sex and to use birth control and maybe even barrier protection to prevent disease transmission. So whether it's a sexually transmitted infection or it's an unwanted pregnancy, we as a society have a vested interest in helping our young people understand that it would be okay to use birth control and it's okay to use a condom. Uh, but we don't. We don't. We're, we're really pushing uh, the abstinence thing right now. It's the same thing with trying to deny birth control pills even to adults uh, through their insurance, even though we do, of course, allow Viagra prescriptions. But birth control for women is out of the question. In fact, uh, we all remember Rush Limbaugh saying these were slut pills so that uh, women could go out and have sex with whoever. And how, however, we're slut-shaming people or we're mocking them for their, their orientation, or we're mocking them for their gender, we're mocking them for wanting to have sex. I mean, it's the entire thing forms the heart and soul, the basic foundation and platform of our modern uh, social wars. It's, it seems like a really good time to quote from this article again um, by Reverend Wolseley. He says, um, you know, the W, you know, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And he says, um, Jesus employed an ethic of love that was a form of moral relativism, i.e. a form of principled consequentialism. Do what is most loving, most compassionate in any circumstance. Now, I can say that same thing in two easier to remember ways. Okay. People come first and principles are the main thing our religion has to offer us. Like, judge not, lest you be judged. And But I, I love this. I'm going to go with his way oh, for this damn time. It. Um, do what is most loving, most compassionate in any circumstance. It seems like if Absolutely. that's what Jesus would do, then the answer to all of this is so easy. You know, you love your children. You are compassionate to your children. You don't try to convince them that they're an abomination and that they are a mistake. And... You know, you, you, you encourage people who are in abusive relationships to leave. I mean, it just seems like the easy answer, if that's your base. Yeah, you know, this, like I said, I have sympathy for the conservatives who feel very frightened by all this talk because fear makes them reach for control, and they become very controlling of the rest of us. But I think if, if they could relax for just a moment— and understand that we're throwing the baby out with the bath when they're that controlling. We don't want to hear anything they have to say about God or religion. Even the things that do make sense. Even the things that do make sense because we've been so spiritually abused right along with sexually abused. We, uh, if, they could, if they could see that, I think they would rethink the whole thing. But instead, what they've got in their head is the idea that their ideas about sexual uh, behavior are God's ideas 
and they are the only way for you to be a legitimate follower of a given religion is if you subscribe to those doctrines. And, you know, as one of a few million people who stepped away from organized religion, I have to say I reject that. And yet I still feel like I can follow my God and my, and my religion independently of the church. And for those of you out there who are interested in integrating your sexuality with your spirituality and letting the one provide context and meaning to the other, while the other sexuality that is is providing a grounding that really helps our religion not drift too far away from our humanity, I'd encourage you to take a look at your options as well. And if you have any questions on this, please contact us at... At Stephen Ng, well, tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT, because this is such a, a simple subject. We can, we'll address it through Twitter, because... Oh, yeah, of course, so easy. Because <laughs> that seems so like the, a platform that um, addresses hard subjects. Yeah, I think uh, if, we, if we get some more questions, we are going to talk about this some more because it's really a big topic. Well, and I am going to get Kathy in here to talk to you about about the Bible and and homosexuality because it's a fascinating topic all on its own. So, Yeah, you know, I think when you bring up the thing about homosexuals, the part that I resist is um, the idea that heterosexuals are getting off scot-free when I think really this, this way of looking at human sexuality from this hyper-conservative, well, let's talk extremist fundamentalist perspective— is damaging to all of us. I agree, but but as you mentioned, Kathy has has picked this very easily solvable issue, so <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna focus on this one for for that podcast. So, yes, absolutely. So we'll set that up. I'm looking so, forward to it. Thank you, Stephen. This has been fascinating, and I'm gonna go and try to put my brain back together now. Thanks, Jackie. This thank, was fun. Thank you. Bye now.